Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. What's up, existential audience? Today on the podcast is my good friend from across the pond, Phil Drysdale. Uh, Phil, do I, I actually thought about this across the pond thing before you came on because right. being in the Bay Area, there's stuff that pe- and even in California, there's stuff that people in the United States say like Cali. I don't really hear that from anyone who mm-hmm. lives in California. And people say San Fran about San Francisco. No one here uses right. San Fran or Frisco. So like is across the pond one of those things that we in the United States use to describe you guys in the UK and the, and you did you roll your eyes at, or is it like, is it, in, is it endearing? Did I, did I do something I, good or bad? Tell me. I, I do, you know, know. do you know what's really interesting? I actually literally was having this thought the other day because I used the phrase across the pond and I was like, man, is that a British thing? Maybe that's not going to fly with most of my audience are American and I'm very Americanized as well. So maybe actually it's an American phrase and it's not British. Sometimes I get so in my head with American because I lived in, I lived in California, lived in Cali um, for four years, Um, not in San Fran, you know, I love Frisco, but I wasn't there. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so I, 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 I'm the worst person to ask. I get teased all the time in the UK because people are like, dude, why did you just say garage? It's garage. And I'm like, I don't know. Or like, they're like, why are you saying take out the trash? It's rubbish. And I'm like, damn it. I keep forgetting. Like, I, I, I'm very Americanized. So how did you get? So well, actually, before I ask that question in a second, let's 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 let people catch people up to people up to who you are. You have a podcast. You're also husband, dad, also. Um, just husbands, not just dads. Husband. Okay, so, okay. Yeah, not, you're not. You're you not see no bags father. under these eyes. You know? <laughs> you're not anyone's father. I'm fresh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but you host a podcast and you're doing like some really interesting work around deconstruction. So let let tell us a little sure. bit about what you're up to. Sure. I mean, uh, I'm in the process of unraveling myself and and discovering all I am. Um, and in that process, I kind of have come alongside people and help them do that as well. So I used to be. I used to be a Christian speaker. I used to travel around the world and do conferences and church meetings and things like that. And in doing that, I kind of came all across a crap ton of people who mm. were kind of coming up to me at the end and going like, Phil, I'm not really sure about what the Bible says here, or I'm not really sure about this, or what do you think about this? And I was starting to realize, gosh, a lot of people, this isn't clicking. They're not. Mm. It's not adding up for them. There's a lot of people undercover in churches that aren't really mm. a part of this community aside from in presence, right? <laughs> Just by a yeah, bum on the pew, yeah. they're, yeah, they're yeah. like not there intellectually or spiritually. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd been on my own journey of that as well. I was kind of going through the motions as well. I'm trying to teach like authentically, but not what I really believe because mm. if I did that, I wouldn't come back and mm. trying to figure that out. And over the years, I've kind of slowly transitioned away from speaking in churches and in conferences, Christian conferences and stuff like that, and to trying to help people that are on these journeys of transitioning in their faith, um, evolving in their faith, um, it's often called deconstructions, uh, exvangelical, uh, dechurching. Uh, there's so many words, uh, nomads, spiritual refugees, church refugees. There's all kinds of different phrases that are used for what can broadly be seen as a very similar um, thing. 
And in that, I've started to do research in the area. I do podcasts where I talk to people about either experts in the area or people just talking about their journey and how they've kind of unraveled and grown and developed and how they've coped, how have they coped in their relationships, how have they coped with their family and their friends and the church and what do they believe now spiritually or not. Um, and, and so it's, it's really fun. I love what I do because I just get to kind of hang out with people and get to know them. And, um, and, and I spend a lot of time chatting to people that are having an existential crisis and mm. trying to help them on that as well, which yeah. is, a, is yeah. a mission because you can't really help someone that's having an existential crisis. I to sit down and go, dude, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> All you can do is be there, be present where the person is. Absolutely. So when yeah. you talk about like being Americanized uh, in the UK, what, what does that mean? Like how, how, how's it happening? What does that mean to you? Uh, so I, uh, I moved around a lot. My dad was a pastor. Um, and so, but he was like a pretty bad pastor. He he was, he was more an evangelist. So he kept bringing people into church that everyone hated. So like he would bring in homeless people, the town prostitute, that guy that got a divorce four years ago. And so the churches would eventually just kind of vote him out because he was just what like kind of, doing what kind his of job really well. Right. What kind, of, what kind of town were you in where there was just a prostitute? This is, like, what, what? This is all over. Like, yeah, the prostitute, just one as well. Um, like, but yeah, like, I mean, he just, he, he loved kind of going and meeting people and, and making them feel welcome. But unfortunately, in a lot of the churches that he ended up in, that wasn't the vibe they were going for. They were going for more like a social club. So we moved around a lot. So I actually moved and lived in lots of places in the UK, but eventually we settled up in Aberdeen, which is right in the north of Scotland. I'm, I'm actually Scottish, believe it or not. My accent mm. isn't very Scottish anymore. Um, and that's an expat town because it's the kind of oil capital of Europe. Um, and so we had loads of Americans in the town. I worked with Americans every day. Uh, I went to the International Baptist Church. So all my church family were Americans and I became quite Americanized anyway. And then before long, I went to America and uh, I went to a Bible school there for three years, stayed there for four years in total. And so I was very Americanized before I even got there and then got more Americanized. And mm. since then, even coming back, the majority of the people I work with are American. About 70% of my audience are American. Most of the people I talk to on podcasts are American. I'm up to like three in the morning most days chatting to people because <laughs> it's the time difference. And so I'm, I'm very uh, Americanized at this point. Yeah. <laughs> is, is there like a, is, is there um, any, because you hear this in the, in the United States a lot if you're, if you're in, an, in or around church that like the UK is this dark spiritual place that, you know, that, that has long forsaken God. Um, right. Is is there less of an appetite for spiritual conversation, um, faith talk in the UK than there is in the United States? Um, a spiritual conversation that the average Christian in America would want to have, yes. Mm. Uh, but I think generally people are quite open spiritually in a lot of ways and, and, and would... Uh, be open to having those kind of conversations. I do think much less than uh, somewhere like America. I think America, by default, it's still a very Christian nation. It's going to have a very spiritual conversation generally because people are, by by default, they were brought up in a culture that was open to that. They maybe even like prayed in school and stuff. I mean, it was like very like normal for them to go to church or even if their family wasn't Christian, probably their parents, their grandparents were Christian or, you know, it's, it's a very normal kind of thing for them to be grown up in a world that was very spiritual. We kind of had like a big exodus. Europe as a whole kind of had a massive exodus away from Christianity and, and religion as a whole. Um, if you discount that a lot of uh, Islamic people have come into Europe, that, that mm. put that to the side. But mm. um, 
people in general in Europe, the the, the people group that have been here um, uh, across the last hundred years, largely had an exodus away from their main faith tradition, which was generally Christianity, Protestant or Catholic, in the last kind of 50, 40 years. There was a mass shift in the kind of 60s, 70s, 80s, where people shifted away from Christianity. What's interesting is they've done that very differently than how people do it today. Because if you think about it, if you, you know, a lot of your audience, and you've had a shift in your spirituality. And a lot of people these days, when they have a shift in spirituality, the first thing they do is like pull out their phone and start Googling what's happening, right? Or they look for a (laughs) Facebook group of other people that are doing it. Or, you know, if if you go... I'm not sure I believe that God would send people to hell. So you Google that and you go, oh, cool. There's other ideas about what God can do. And hell doesn't actually have to be this way. It could be this way. But if you did that in the 70s, what exactly were you going to do? You couldn't talk to your pastor because you'd be screwed. You're out of church. So you don't talk to them. Probably don't even talk to your partner about this, right? Um, And what, maybe go to the library and try and find a book? I mean, there's not many options. And so what happened largely in Europe, when people shifted away from their faith tradition, they thought, well, that is Christianity. So what happened is they shifted to, well, I'm not a Christian. And so there was a mass shift to agnosticism or atheism in a very black and white way. A very fundamental way. Whereas what's happening today, America's having the same transition now, um, but it's about 40 years later. Um, and that's not to say America's bad or wrong or slow, or it's just a bit younger, really, as, if yeah. we're honest, as a, as a nation, yeah. it's younger. Um, and America's had very different issues to navigate as well. Uh, as a nation, it's a very different uh, build and, and makeup, and it's had very unique problems that have um, caused it to potentially grow a bit slower. You know, we talked last time about how deconstruction is a privilege, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of America, because of the way America is structurally built, a lot less people have, have the privilege to sit down and question their faith and look at it. Um, but that's becoming more common now. And what's yeah. happening is they're doing it in the age of globalization and the internet. Like you, you can go on Netflix, there's, there's TV shows and movies that talk about deconstruction on Netflix. Like. Wow. That's crazy. Thanks. Thanks. Um, so it's just a, a really unique time to be alive, to be going through this. And so I think what it's going to look like in the U- US, I think we can draw some parallels between like the the mass exodus of Christianity in Europe and in the UK. But I don't think it's going to play out the same. I think it's going to be quite unique because we're in a very different time now. Yeah, man. Uh, and sure. so there's a lot more gray areas there where people can actually really engage. Because what they found is... So about 2,700 people leave the church every day in America. That's, that's a lot. How, say that again, how many people? people? 2,700. And that's an old statistic. Some, the, the, the more recent statistics, I don't have an exact uh, source for this. We're expecting some sources this year on, on hard data, but it's more likely to be nearer 4,000 a day. So it's, mm-hmm. it's rapidly building. Um, that many people leave every day. But what's interesting is in other studies, they found that about 78 to 80% of people that leave still hold on to their spirituality of some sort of faith. Mm-hmm. So they're not leaving God or divinity or faith in some sort of spiritual world and spirituality. They're leaving their faith tradition of this is the way it has to be. Yeah. Um, and so it's not that like black and white, well, now I'm an atheist or an agnostic, I'm not a Christian. Now people are going, well, I'm kind of Christian. I just see things differently. Or they go, well, yeah, I'm not a Christian, but I still follow Jesus. Or I believe in a God. Or I believe in spirit. It's a very complex world. We yeah. Are now. Anyway, so I'm rambling already. No, no worries. That's good, that's good stuff. <laughs> Peter Rollins kind of talks about this a little bit in his book, Insurrection. It's not like they're saying within themselves that I want to cast off everything. I talk to so many of my friends who like, 
have just gotten so fed up with white supremacy and, mm. and nationalism in the United States. But yet, like just yesterday, I was talking to a friend. I was like, you know, she's like, I, I'm not Christian at all. And I'm like, well, but you do still resonate with Christian stuff because I, I was on a call with you when there was a, a minister who was speaking and you were like really resonating with what they were saying. So there is this proximity that people keep to spirituality, which is why I'm so fascinated by what you're doing, because I yeah. think there is like a, I think in the work that you're doing and the conversations you're having, it's, they sound like conversations about going, okay, we have evolved in the way that we understand our space and our place in the world and what we're trying to figure out about divine order. So how do we do that in a more responsible, inclusive, mm. intellect, honest way? You know what I mean? Yeah. So like that's what that's what so drew drew me to like even coming on your podcast and the conversation we have, like, yeah, it's so cool to see that it's not out of a cynicism, it's not out of even just like a I hate Christians in the church thing. It's like, no, I actually love there's something I love. I actually love the idea that there is a divine order to the world and that there is a divine energy or entity that is pulling the strings and pulling those strings towards somewhere good. Mm. I just like the way y'all been talking about it. Right. Yeah. Often because we feel that actually the way we're talking about it is in direct contrast to what we feel that energy is doing. Yeah. Right. So if we, if we sit down and get honest with us and go, well, what is to describe God, describe divinity, describe, even if you don't believe it in it being an old man in the sky or whatever, exactly. but yeah. the, this, this, this thing that runs through us all and connects us all and is like and guiding us in a direction, describe that direction. And we, most people will say, oh, it's, it's inclusive, it's loving, it, it's growing in complexity and depth and, you know, these beautiful, amazing things. And then we go, all right, cool. So is it racist? And you're like, uh, no. <laughs> what, what part of love and inclusive and, and, and deep and complex? Like, no, that's simplistic. It's it's tribalistic. It's ethnocentric. It's it's unloving. It's in exclusive. It's like that's all the opposite things. And so then what happens is people go, oh man, okay, yeah. So the, this this spirit, this this thing that's drawing me, and we can be spiritual and atheist. So when I talk about spiritual, when I talk about spirituality, what I mean is, spirituality to me is the story we give, the story we create to give meaning to this, mm. this being, this. <laughs> There's no other word for this, right? What is this? It's wow. this. So spirituality is the story we create. And we all create a story. An atheist creates a story. The story is there is no gods and we're here and we arose from a big bang and, and we're, we're matter that's formed over billions of years and, and we've created, we've great, gained sentience or whatever. But that's still a story that helps ground us and go, and that's why I'm here and that's what I'm going to do and that's why I'm going to do X next. And that's why on next Wednesday I'm going to go feed someone in a homeless shelter or I'm going to go marry someone or like the stories affect us. And that's, that's what I consider our spirituality. So it can be a very, it can involve a spiritual being like a God, but it can also be completely devoid of that. It's, it's yeah. how we give meaning. Um, yeah. So I, I think what's interesting is that story over and again, generally speaking, people grow uh, with that story and, and that story evolves and grows to be more loving, to be more inclusive, to yeah, be man. more complex and deep. And so what's interesting is generally speaking, some people's stories that they've created and they've inherited, most people inherit a story. They don't really create one. Um, 
some people's stories are rooted in the past as an ideal. And so if you look at certain components of very conservative, conventional Christianity, the ideal is thousands of years ago. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a bit, bunch of rules made thousands of years ago. It's, it's in the garden. We want to return to the Garden of Eden. Well, that's you know, 6,000, obviously, 6,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, or whatever it is, right? That's the, the past is the ideal. And so what they see is when we move forward, yep. that's actually a regression. It's, falling, it's going the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happens is we end up in a war when we want to move forward in inclusivity and love and complexity and depth. A lot of people in their, in their um, faith tradition especially as conservative Christians, they want to move backwards. They want to be more exclusive, more simple, less complex. Uh, They want to be moving back in in that way. And so what happens is the reason people leave is they are growing, they are evolving in their spiritual path and growing with the universe, with the spirit, with the divine, whatever you call it. They're going in the right direction. That's the direction the the universe moves. It's it's Um, the natural direction things are going in, yeah. But their faith is saying no. You yeah. know, so yeah, yeah it's, it's it's really it's it's fascinating that dynamic, and so people are leaving. Not they're leaving in spite of their religion. They want to be a part. Most people that leave church, it's really fascinating. They did a study on people that leave church, and they found on average most people know they should leave, and then stay for about seven years on average. Most people are fighting to stay in the church, to change the church, to make the church work with how they see the world because they they believe in the church. They want to be a part of this community. They they believe it can grow and change. And it's actually, in general, it's about seven years. And then people go, this isn't changing. I'm just going to move on. That's Um, crazy. Wow. It's it's wild. It shows that it's not about people hating the church. Yeah. That's not what it's about. Well, I think they kind of think, where else am I going to go? There's people who stay for a very, very long time in a church, in a religious institution, whatever it is. And they're like, well, what else is out there? You know, I don't Mm -hmm. want to be a a hopper. I don't want to hop around. But like, I want to come back to something you said about atheism and spirituality, because it's, again, you know, I've been doing uh, the book I'm currently in is Insurrection by Peter, uh, Peter Mm. Rollins, which is like, it's, I think it's probably 15, 20 years old. It's an older book, but it's interesting how he talks about Jesus on the cross and the intersection of that moment for Jesus and atheism, right? Is that like Jesus has this moment where, when, as the story goes, as the narrative goes, if you're a person who takes this narrative seriously, which you don't have to, in my opinion, um, as the story goes, he's on the cross and he goes, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken this? Is right. is, are you actually out there? Like, I am alone. I am here on earth with no God. Mm. Everyone in Western Christianity would say, and you hear all the time, that Christianity is about being like Jesus until the moment Jesus became an atheist. (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. Until the moment where Jesus had a real existential crisis where he says, I feel left alone. Not even... Not even the the the, the logic. Not even from his logic, because his logic says is, is speaking, crying out for God. Right. He's not like he's not like intellectually dismissing the concept of divine. He's he's going. I don't feel you. I feel alone in my suffering. And like, could you imagine today? I, I feel like any 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 Christian today who who would who would start suffering, go through something, and say, I don't feel God. God's not here. Mm. Like. It's like they w- we would quickly try to snatch them back. No, 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 you just can't feel him, but he's really there. 
Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need to invalidate this feeling right now. Exactly. Yeah. Don't, you can't have that feeling. You can't be. You can't follow Jesus in that way. You only follow Jesus in these other ways. So I think that's really yeah. interesting when you when you talk about like atheism and spirituality because it's so easy to dismiss people who are on a spiritual journey that's led them to have big questions about God and honest questions about what it means for there to be God. Yeah. It's just like, oh, they're just, you know, they're pagans and heathens and, and you know, they, they don't have any spiritual value. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and it's fascinating in that for a lot of atheists, they look at Christianity and go, oh, they're just pagans, right? <laughs> oh, they're just a bunch of nomadic uh, Bronze Age people still living in the Bronze Age, right? I mean, they're, they're, in, in a lot of ways, they're, they're still building this, this mystical, magical world where there's a God in the sky, and if you pray hard enough, he'll do this, and if you do the right thing, he'll do that, and if you do the wrong thing, he'll hurt you with a lightning bolt, and he really cares where you put your penis and what you do with that, and, right? I mean, but, but he's not that fussed about people dying of hunger or, you know, like, it's, it's you know, but, but they would look at uh, Christians and, and see in, in other ways, not all atheists, but a lot of atheists mm. might go, gosh, that's very primitive and, like, backwards. Mm. And so we're all doing it as well. We all, because I think, if you look at how humans are wired, um, I was reading about this uh, today, actually, was, um, reading about this, a part of our brain that is basically the the place where our, our concept of our self exists. Mm. And so it's, it's the part where we build this whole story that says, you are a person. Mm. Because on some level, that's a story as well. That's, a, that's an, ex- talk about existential crises, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a terrifying thing. Because, so it's in charge of things like, did you know, so if you're playing the piano, when you press the key, you feel that, you hear it, and you see it at different times. But your brain, that part in the middle, goes, hold on, that's really trippy, and I'm freaking out. So what we're going to do, because it brings it to question, like, what am I? Who's even, who's doing the hearing? Who's doing the seeing? Who's doing the touching? No, 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 no. We're going to bring that in, and then we're going to make sure it happens at the same time. Um, and so it happens at identically the same time. And then I feel a bit more safe. I feel a bit more, oh, gosh, yeah, no, I'm me. Um, and so that's what's happening. Whenever we come across people that mm. have a story that challenges my story about who I am, and this is what happened. This is why you have, when you deconstruct your faith and you turn around and you tell your mom and she freaks out, what you're doing is you're finding that bit in her brain that goes, this is the world. This is who you are. You are a, a daughter of God yeah. and yeah. you are here so that you can yeah. um, have kids and they can go to heaven. And if you don't do this, you'll go to hell. And that's what, what you do when you turn around and go, hey, mom. I'm deconstructing my faith. I'm not sure there is a God. You are just taking an ax to that part of her brain, right? You're Man, just bro. freaking the man. Especially the longer it's been. I, I watched Richard Rohr uh, do a talk mm. where he was talking about how, like, um, it, it, it's better for folks to start the deconstructing in the teenage years than it is as adults. Because as an adult, mm. you've got years and years and years of that programming that you're talking about. And not just the programming, but the tribal identity. So the mm. the, mo- the 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 existential crisis that people have is is not even just about the loss of belief. That belief is attached to where I belong in the tribe, with yeah. people, with community, and part of being in this community me- meant and has meant that I believe this thing. That's why I ask the question probably twice a year: What's more important for Christianity, belief or behavior? Because mm. you know, like because depending on who you talk about, it's it it, it can be like 
either or, but like there is this, I think, I think there's this huge emphasis on belief because the moment you say, for example, I don't believe that people are going to be tormented forever because of, you know, wh who they lay down with. And I don't believe anybody's going to be tormented forever, period. There are Christians that go, you, you're, you're no longer one of us. Right. You, you can no yeah. longer sit with us. It's like, it's like we're in Mean Girls all of a sudden. You, you, you can't sit with us because you're not wearing pink on Tuesday or whatever day it was. It's like this very strange thing. And so that thing in the brain that says, here's where I belong, here's what I'm rooted in, here's what I'm grounded in. I think, you know, you have to quiet that thing mm -hmm. and let it know we're going to be okay. Yeah. To go through any process of deconstruction because it can be very scary to think about being dislodged from folks that you've always known, always been attached yeah. to. So I want to ask you something about the UK in, 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 in relationship to some of the stuff we're talking about, which also, by the way, sure. when you say that, that you know, uh, for a lot of, you know, evangelical fundamentalists or whatever, that going back thousands of years feels like progress. I think there's too much credit. I think they only go back a hundred or so years. I don't even think yeah. that they, I don't even think that they believe <laughs> going true. all the way back to like the early church. No, no, no. But like, so did, did you just, side note, did you watch um, all of our political theater in the last several months with the election and the insurrection and all that kind of stuff? All, all of your political theater? Maybe weekend? not, but. Okay. <laughs> the main, we, we, the big, the big moments of our political theater were like, how are you viewing that from across the pond? <laughs> Are we let's cuss? <laughs> second, you're the second person to ask me that. I, maybe I should, I should start opening by saying that we're going to talk about real shit today so that people yeah, feel well, like, okay, There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, WTF is a pretty uh, – uh, that's summed up the last kind of four or five years pretty well. Um, it's, it's been an interesting one. So because – you're looking at such a complex topic and a complex, um, the US is a complex place. And so if you look at um, how humans evolve, we go from individual to ethnocentric to world centric. That's how people kind of evolve as we grow up. Now, at a certain point in our life, we kind of start to settle in and stop. Um, and so for most of human history, we've never got to world centric. That's quite a new stage in that evolution. It's quite a modern uh, freedom that we've got to the point where we start to go, maybe it's more than my ethnocentric kind of component. Mm. And what's interesting in America is, so in, in Europe, a good portion of Europe is now world-centric. Uh, you know, a good like 60, 70% of Europe is is world-centric. And, and then maybe 30% is more um, ethnocentric and a tiny majority is egocentric. It is, mm. it's, it's, most people aren't egocentric. There are narcissists out there, but on the whole, you kind of grow out of that by you know a young child. You start growing out of that and become a bit more ethnocentric. Mm -hmm. And none of these stages are wrong. Being ethnocentric is helpful. Mm -hmm. Understanding this is my family and I'm gonna die for my family before I die for Bob's family. Mm -hmm. That's okay. That's okay. And that's a healthy thing as you start to grow and develop and you kind of understand who your people are and whatever. But as we grow and evolve, hopefully we step beyond that. What's interesting is when you look at that kind of dynamic of like 70-30 in Europe, it means that Europe becomes a very progressive, quote unquote, or liberal kind of um, place because we're more world-centric. We're more inclusive and we have more complexity. We see things with more nuance. We try and include everyone. Um, again, that's not fair of most Europe. Uh, it's, it's more complex, right? And it's more nuanced. And you look at somewhere like the UK, we're much less like Europe. 
we're actually a little bit more like America. But when you look at America, America is very different. America is only about 30% world-centric. And so uh, maybe by some measures, maybe about 50%. Um, but a huge portion of America is still very ethnocentric. And some of it, now ethnocentric can be very different. You know, mm -hmm. that can be, um, it can be right down from a guy sitting in the KKK going, yeah, just us, just us white people in, you know, Knoxville, just us, <laughs> screw the white people in that town, just us or whatever. Or maybe it's like, no, just us white people. And then it's maybe it's oh, just us Americans and whatever. But for a good portion of America, just us Americans and even just us white people is basically as far as they've kind of evolved. And, and that's what you see is um, a huge portion of America, um, it's, it's very broad. Not a huge portion of America is explicitly racist and wants to kill black people and, and whatever. Like that, that, that's a, a caricature for sure. Um, and yes, those people love Trump, right? And yes, those people jumped on the opportunity to vote Trump. But what's interesting is when you see those evolutions in the same way with deconstruction, when, when someone deconstructs, what does the church do? They freak out and they alienate and they push it away because it's dangerous and it's scary. That is way too world-centric. You're starting to appreciate other religions. You're starting to see things beyond our faith, beyond our little church. It might be other churches or it might be other faiths. Gosh, that's terrifying. The same thing happens when people go from ethnocentrism to world-centrism. And so what you're seeing is in America, what happened was not that people... Um, so much supported Trump, it's that they hated what Trump spoke against. Mm -hmm. So Trump was less pro-racist, build wall, build this, do that, do this. That, that was definitely his party line a lot of the time, but his main party line that people in America jumped on was the liberals are dumb and they're going to ruin our country and they're dangerous and they're too progressive and they don't even know what they're talking about. They don't even have truth. That the problem is, if you if you went for like, hey, let's vote based on racist platforms, you probably get at best 20% America would vote for that. But if you say, hey, let's vote on, do we hate liberals? You've got about 60 to 70% of America jump on yeah. them. Even some liberals hate liberals, if we're yeah, honest. Because sure. sometimes we're, we're dumb, right? Yeah. We, we can't make decisions. Well, dude, we can't lead very well or whatever. Even, with, even within the, um, even within some of the progressive slash liberal, whatever we want to call it, uh, agenda is sure. still the America first mentality you, you heard yeah. like you, you hear American exceptionalism in either party. It doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican who's in, who's in office or, or who's running things. It's you still have this America first, our tribe. And I wonder, cause you, you've talked about this in contrast with, you know, with Europe and the UK, like I wonder if it's, it's our age. I mean, we're as, as a nation, the United States is like 248 years old now. I think it is. Like compared to, you know, how long European nations have been doing what they're doing, how how, how much mm. time you have, we're babies. So yeah. when you talk about it from the standpoint of an evolution from this egocentric to ethnocentric to, to being more globally minded, I, I, I think we've evolved to where we are, especially the Europeans who came here for a new world. Um, yeah. You know, so like kind of, they came here to get away from whatever was happening in Europe. They came here to get away from it. And so in our DNA, in our, in, I shouldn't say ours, in the white folks' DNA here in the United States is this like, we don't, we came here to be our own exclusive group of people 
who yeah. have black folks as our enslaved as our slaves doing our bidding, building this for us so that we can continue to get rich and become mm-hmm. better than the rest of the world. That's in our that's in the DNA of white folks who are still running this country. And I don't know that in our lifetime, I guess, because I mean, I think I'll die before that goes away because mm. we're just young. And it's yeah. not even me saying that, excusing it, saying, oh, it's OK. It's just simply saying it's a very young nation and it's pretty shitty that yeah. this is only, we've only gotten this far, but I guess this is as far as we can as we could have been expected to get. I don't know. It's really hard, isn't it? Because when you look at, um, I often joke if you took Germany, which is right in the kind of center of Western Europe, you took that country and you just like chucked it away somewhere and put it in Australia or put it in <laughs> Russia or something, and then you grabbed America and you put it in Germany and said, okay, you guys live there for the last two hundred years. America would be so different because they're next door to France and Belgium and, and Holland and Denmark and P- Poland and Italy and Austria and Switzerland. And like you've got like 10 neighbors right there constantly showing you, hey, there's a different way to do this. For an America, and I know a lot of America is we're very globalized right now, right? We talked about Netflix, right? You can switch on Netflix and see how the rest of the world do things these days. Um, and that's a big part of how, like, you know, on, on my podcast, he talks about your kids, you know, like your kids are going to be like, dad, you're, you're way too like insular and American, right? You sure. need to get a more globalized view. Like, cause yeah. they're growing up on Netflix and YouTube and the person teaching them makeup is, you know, in Prague and the person yeah. that's like talking about like sex on something is, yeah. is from, you know, Iceland or whatever. And it's like, yeah. geez, wow, that's crazy. But yeah. if you talk about the average American, the average American hasn't left America. Hmm. There's, there's more people in America that haven't left America than there are that have. Um, and that's not to say anything bad about that. It's just saying the exposure to people that are different is less. It's why you see in rural areas there's more ethnocentrism than in highly populated city areas because different people come into those areas. You're exposed to different people. You're more likely to have some black friends than if you live in a tiny little town in South Dakota or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're in New York, you know, you're more likely to meet a bunch of people from Europe if you live in New York than if you live in that small town in South Dakota again. No, I'm not picking on South Dakota. I just try to think of somewhere that it's not likely I would fly through South Dakota. I don't don't think they've got an international hub airport, right? Right. Um, And so there's a component where America is such a huge nation. America is like pretty much the size of Europe, geez, like, and you've got as much diversity in land and experience as you would in Europe as well. Like, for most people, there's no reason to leave America. You can go to Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls or New York or LA, like there's an amazing mix of experience. But what it means is that often Americans haven't been exposed, for the last 200 years, the majority of Americans haven't been exposed to a different way of seeing things. Whereas I think in more um, mixed areas, so somewhere like Europe is very mix it's very multicultural it's 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 a lot more compact right so even there's the population based on size mm-hmm. um it's not i think the uk is an it's a ninth of the it's a seventh of the population of america but wow. it's 40 times smaller so we pack them in right mm-hmm. um and so it's like even things like covid people comparing covid and, and america and i'm like america's got a lot on its side right most people don't share public transport some places don't even use public transport right and your houses are bigger your workplaces are bigger your shops are bigger everything's a bit more spaced out and then you go oh and in the uk we can't move in the office but touching someone you know and so probably going to get covid um so i think there's so many different dynamics at play so i think the the us is young yeah 
I think that's a big part of it. But I think as well, the US has had less um, privilege in, in, in being able to ex- experience different yeah. cultures and nationalities, especially the rural. Yeah, the proximity yeah. thing is huge. I mean, we often talk about that when it comes to, um, you know, having compassion for another person requires proximity. Having, having a, an understanding of another person's experience requires that I get close enough to them to sort of know what it is. And you, you're right. That's yeah. I have never thought about that before, the, the, our proximity to other nations. Um, and then as you're talking, I'm like looking, okay, we have Canada, which I have not, not been to Canada. What I've seen from Canada seems very similar to the, to the United States. Um, and then what we've, what our last president was doing was saying, let's let's isolate ourselves even more by putting a border wall up in the south, so we don't even, so we won't, we, those neighbors from the south won't be coming in, and we don't need, we don't need to go there. So it's like this, we we it's this, it, it's almost like it's woven into the European DNA of those who came here, to be like, let's wall ourselves off from anyone, who's not white, yeah, and let's create this. This this new place where we can be in control and 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 tell ourselves we're number one, regardless of whether or not it's actually true or not. Like it's such a such a fascinating dynamic when you zoom out from it yeah. and just sort of look at it and go, oh damn! Like how could it be anything other than what it is? Now yeah. in the UK, is there a here we have this this really um, I don't know toxic is the best way to describe it conflation of state. Um, and religion, that people wrap the cross in the American flag or vice versa. You know, you have like the red, white, and blue cross. We, we People had erected the cross, which is the symbol for just about every Christian, you know, belief system, the symbol of like, yeah. that's Christian. During the insurrection, the cross was mm. there. And Jesus saves was there, present, on display. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Do you, do you have that a similar thing in the UK where like you're because I think you know state sanctioned religion was a thing there before long before it was here. Uh, sure, actually, yeah. we tried to tell ourselves it wasn't actually we weren't right. You, you know, were fleeing that kind yeah, of technically on some But now it's, it, it seems like it's almost reversed. Like from what I from what I understand, there doesn't seem to be this this like state sanctioned. Everyone needs to believe this way, and this this these are our ideals. I, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. No, I mean, on the whole, that's true. And there's maybe a multitude of factors at play. So there is the fact that a lot of Europe has been de-Christianized. It's still very much um, thought that most countries still think of themselves in some sense as a kind of Christian nation, maybe some Christian ethics. So even people that have left Christianity probably look somewhat favorably upon like kind of the idea that oh we're a christian nation maybe quite a few people do that um but still probably still maybe even in the majority a minority what i think is fascinating and and this is really interesting is is as we've become more world-centric and a bit more liberal and a bit more progressive a lot of our countries have become more open to um refugees to um immigration and different things like that which i think is a wonderful thing there's very very positive things to say about that but it's also negative outcomes that have come with that certain things that people in different uh with different worldviews with different ideologies with different ethics and rules and ideas you know and so um there's no doubt about it that people that come from a very religious islamic state 
have a different idea of what day-to-day life should look like than the people that grew up in an ex-Christian nation. Um, Mm. And so somewhere where, I don't know, if you come from Saudi Arabia where they arrest women for driving or, you know, they they cut your uh, hand off for stealing or something very extreme, if if you're not, like, in the right royal family or something, Mm. um, you know, there's no doubt about that, that 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 culture is going to have some clashes with a new culture because it's going to be different. So, so some of these clashes have, have occurred. And I think what's interesting in that is people have almost started to push for a more Christian, uh, a more integrated um, uh, state and religion suddenly. And I don't think it's as obvious. I don't think they have the language for that. But you'll see the kind of more that maybe considered to be racist groups, um, nationalistic groups, things like that. They're much more likely to start pushing. Well, we're a Christian nation. They come here. They should abide by our Christian uh, ideals and, and mm. government. And I'm like, half you guys aren't even Christian. You're atheist, <laughs> right? You know, but, but you're suddenly using this like Christian language. But really, what it is is it's a paradynamic um, yeah. that is heavily race influenced. It's, it's classist. It's racist. It's a whole bunch of different things. Um, and, and things are complex, right? Things are complex, of course. Like, you know, things like if you look at um, Sweden, which has the highest immigration rate, has currently the highest rape rate in the world, which is crazy. Um, and what's interesting is that the, most of the rapes are um, not, I think most is fair, but it's not all rapes by any means, but I think it's like 70 something percent of rapes are performed by someone that was an immigrant. Um, and so there's a very clear tie to people that have come in from a different culture are fucking with the system. So I'm not saying that you suddenly go, oh, like we can't say anything because that would be racist. Or no, no, we should probably look at this and we should try and figure out education, different things, maybe figure out how we bring people. Of course, these things are complex. I was saying this when Trump was saying, let's build a wall. I'm like, well, of course, there's problems of like everyone moving to one country. That would be a disaster. So like, yeah, of course, we should talk about how do you move to a country? Mm -hmm. I know this because I wanted to live in America and I couldn't. I wasn't allowed. Right. So Mm -hmm. I I don't think the average American uh, Mexican (laughs) just walk into America. I can't. I'm a white guy. (laughs) Um, You know, so uh, and I was a Christian back then and everything. I was, I was ticking all the boxes. Yeah, all the boxes. Um, so, uh, but, but I think so. There, there is problems in play in Europe um, that are starting to incite more. Um, they, they push people into a regressive place. So what happens is that they go from a world centric thing, but they get this external pressure. Their family are now. Oh, I don't want my daughter to be raped, and so suddenly I kind of regress to a more ethnocentric position. Which is what happens when we when we go into fear and, and, and all sorts of different things, um, is we then start to go, oh, no, 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 hold on. Let's make this about me and mine again until I feel safe. Then we can start exploring, bringing some new people in. So it's super complex. I'm not, I'm not an expert in, in world politics by any means, shape or form. Um, uh, and, and yeah, I, I just observe these things and I think, gosh, this, this is fascinating stuff at play. And it's, it's at play everywhere. It's, it looks different. But humans are humans, and we're, we're, we're figuring this out, and we're probably doing a relatively good job compared to ourselves a thousand, ten thousand years ago, but we're still figuring it out, and we're still fucking up a lot, right? For sure, man, and I think, you know, we talked about this on your podcast, that, like, even us sitting around talking about this is, is a privilege, right? It's like, we, we, don't, we don't have to, um, you know, we don't feel the sword in the same way that someone who is poor, who is mar- who's living on the margins, who, who doesn't have enough resources to, to survive, um, people who are 
living in police states, especially here in the United States. Uh, I am, I do get some of the experience because I'm black, obviously. So there are certain things mm-hmm. that I experience, microaggressions, just about on a daily basis. But the macroaggressions that some black folks experience in this country, I have not, I've not ever experienced. I've, I've never been beat by the police. I've never been, uh, I've never, ha- I don't even know that a police officer has ever made physical contact with my body. You know, but I, I, I know people who were sexually assaulted by police, people who were, mm. you know, who, who've had run-ins where police have physically made contact with them. So it is like a, a very privileged conversation to be able to sort of wax poetically about like what's happening in the world and, and how these things right. work. But I also, but I don't think it's an unnecessary thing. I don't sure. think it's something to go, well, because it's a privileged conversation that we shouldn't have it. Cause I do think it's still very, very helpful. Like yeah. I think the work you're doing in deconstructing and, and, and talking with people who have those stories and then and imagining what it might be like to live differently is incredibly helpful mm. to the world because it, it we, we can't start to imagine this. And I think um, it's the prophetic imagination. I can't remember his name who wrote the book. Um, but, but in that book, uh, the author talks about like the, we can't, if we can't imagine it first, it's never reality. Some people do mm. have to sit around and talk about how do we, how do we live in a new world that's more inclusive and, and, and yeah. matches the ever expanding nature of the universe? So last question I have for you is what has been some of the most interesting stuff you found throughout your work of having these conversations around deconstructing, mm. decolonizing, reorienting how we view the world and ourselves and the divine? I think to me, you know, it can be really easy to talk about this stuff and just think, gosh, wow, we're like screwed. This world is terrible. Like, will we ever change? Especially, you know, you look at something like Trump and you go, oh my God, like, is there any hope for this country or, or whatever it might be? Um, and I think one of the things that I've found in studying and looking at history, anthropology, um, sociology, religion as it evolves and spirituality, looking at these things, I've seen direction. And there is growth. There is always growth. Even when we're 10 steps back for a five-year period or 20-year period, that happens. That happens. It's like the stock market ticker, right? It's up and down, but it's like slowly going that way or whatever. And there's times where things crash and there's times when things are down, but we never really go down. We always work our way up. If you can zoom out enough, and, and I think, again, it's a privilege to zoom out. You know, and, and I, I, I've, I take most of the boxes for privilege. I really do. I'm, I'm white, I'm heterosexual, I'm European, um, I'm, I'm comfortable financially, um, but I also suffer. I've got plenty of suffering and, and sometimes it's harder to zoom out. It's harder to zoom out when you're going through divorce. It's harder to zoom out when your mother dies or, you know, these kind of things that plague us all. We all go through sort of stuff like that. But if we can take a step back and we go, gosh, like, okay, let's stop making this about me, right? Let's be less, less egocentric. And even if we just make it about my ethnicity, even if we just look at America, mm. it's like, can I see that America is a better place to live today than it was 50 years ago, than it was 100 years ago, than it was 200 years ago? Yeah, it is. It, we're moving. We're moving in directions and the, and the speed of direction like it's astonishing to me but like you know you're not going to have to go back to our grandparents that age most of them were in segregated schools most of them had to deal with some really crazy stuff most of them women were still basically property they couldn't Mm. open a bank account they couldn't do a whole Mm. bunch of stuff 
we're moving fast. If you look at how long it took us to go from, uh, I don't know, even just women getting to vote, that conversation came up hundreds of years before it even began to be a, a reality in any nation. You know, like, these changes take so long. I mean, gosh, the, uh, the first people proposing no slavery, a couple of thousand years ago, people were like, maybe slavery is not the best model. It took about one and a half thousand years before anyone actually was like, okay, no, we're not doing that anymore. Mm. That, that's a long period of time. If we then look at like the speed of change, things are accelerating. We're moving forward with inclusion, with love, with greater complexity, with more depth, and it's increasing in speed. And, and that mm. does encourage me. And like you said, you know what? It's heartbreaking that you, you know, like you're like, probably not in my lifetime. I won't see the end of this. But you won't be able to count the things that you have seen the end of. Mm. There'll be so many. Mm. It, it just astonishes me. You know, the, the, the amount of changes we've seen um, throughout the world, but even if we just stay in America, how, how long did it take for, for um, homosexuals to get the, for, for, for homosexuality to go from being illegal to legal, and then to, you can marry? The pace in which that happened is astonishing in some ways. Now, it's not astonishing if you're a gay person. It's really crap, right? Especially if you want to marry, if you want to be open about your love and your relationship. But I, I think the biggest thing I've seen as I've looked at this, as I've talked to people, as I've engaged people, as I've studied how it works throughout the, the, the world and throughout history, is that we are moving in a really healthy direction and we're moving there quickly. It's changing quickly. You, like, we talked about this on my podcast when you were there. Like, you talk to people my parents' age and it's hard to find people that aren't racist. You talk to people your kid's age, and it's hard to find people that are certainly explicitly racist, okay? So, of course, sure. systemic yeah. implicit bias of yeah, yeah. implicit yeah, yeah. racism is still going to be there. But even that will be less because they'll be more aware. They'll be more intentional about being anti-racist. So just looking at those changes generationally, it's astonishing. Because yeah. you go back a thousand years and you go, how different were grandparents and their grandkids? The answer is absolutely not at all. They were exactly the same because... People didn't change for hundreds of years. It took for small changes to come into play. Mm. Really, maybe thousands of years, small changes coming into play. And now we're looking at 20, 50 years for major changes to come into play. That's exciting. Yeah, man. Well, I think, I think some of that is, I think there's technology. I think there's social media. I think there's, you know, different outlets for people to express. It's, it's what, what I was saying a few moments ago about, like, the importance of these kinds of dialogues. Because of these kinds of dialogue, when I say at the end of this podcast, which you guys are hearing in a moment, that we're contending for a better world one conversation at a time, this is actually what we are doing. Is the, it's, it's the awareness and the imagination, the verbalization, the naming of things that like creates this, this different way of thinking for people that goes, oh, maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe it could also be this way. I do also recognize, and I'm glad you acknowledged it, man, that like there's layers to privilege. There's layers to, um, you know who gets to name it and claim it and say it, what it is, you know, you as a white male, me as a, as, me as a man, but also, so, but being black, it's like, okay, when I hear we've gotten better faster, I think I can intellectually go, yeah, but emotionally something in my DNA, something in my body rejects it because again, it's like when someone who I read this in um, uh, the five books of Miriam, 
there's this dialogue in, in that book that just, the way it goes is basically there's different personalities having dialogue. One of the people in the in the dialogue says that slavery wasn't that bad. Then a person says it's easy for you to say. If you were never enslaved, if your people were never enslaved, it's very easy to 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 say, as you said, like it's very easy for us as heterosexuals to say, you know, it was relatively quick. But like you said, for someone in the, from yeah. the LBGTQ, uh, LBGTQ plus community, it's like, hell, what? Like yeah. it's 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 when you're in the suffering, it feels like forever. And yeah. I think that like the zooming out and zooming in is a very interesting dynamic when you look at the world. Um, and I don't I don't I don't want to demonize either. I don't think either should yeah. be demonized. I think that those with the privilege to zoom out should communicate and talk and behave, vote if we're if we're in a place that votes mm-hmm. and interact with the world in a way that's mindful of those who don't have the privilege of zooming out. Yeah. I think that's our burden and our responsibility. Yeah. Uh, man, I just do I appreciate you, man. I, I it's always great to talk to you. Um, we could talk for another hour because I've I've so many more questions and, and, and things I'd like to wrestle with in, in terms of like how we remake the world and recreate the world. And mm. maybe that's a conversation we're gonna have next time you're on. But yeah, appreciate great. you, man. What what are you working on right now? What's the name of your podcast? How can people stay in touch with you? Yeah, uh, so people can connect with me on Instagram, Phil Drysdale. Um, that's where I connect with people most. Um, just chat with people day in day out about their journeys and help them on that whatever it looks like. Uh, podcast is Phil Drysdale show that comes out twice a week usually and just chat with people about their journeys um, and. Then and the deconstruction network is is um, what we're building, which is a free resource to help people that are going through a deconstruction of faith, which can be really lonely. It can be really isolating, and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, for a lot of people, they lose friends, family, churches, and stuff. So that's a, a basically it's a world map, and you you sign up, and you can look on the map and see who's in your local area, and maybe message them and connect with people in your Dude, local area. That's and amazing. Connect. Um, and that's completely free. And through that as well, um, we have the opportunity for people to take part in research. So we're doing research on people that are deconstructing to try and change the narrative and give more accurate data on what does this actually look like, what's it, uh, what's actually happening and occurring. And so deconstructionnetwork.com is a great place to go if, if you want to connect with other people, if you feel lonely and isolated in that journey. Um, because, yeah, like like you're saying, you know, like it's, it's zooming out is a, is, is a big privilege and it should never be done at the expense of anyone's zoomed in experience ever. Yeah, I mean. um, and so, you know, we can zoom out and go, gosh, it's amazing that we're seeing these radical changes in faith that people of different faiths are embraced more than ever before, all that different stuff. But the reality is most people that go through deconstruction are living through an actual living hell day through day. Mm. And mm. it might be great for their grandkids, and that's a wonderful thing. It, and it might be even encouraging to them in the moment to go, gosh, at least my grandkids aren't going to go through this. Yeah. But it's shit right now, and they need support, and they need encouragement. And so if you're going through it, if you feel isolated, if you feel your family and your friends have rejected you, if you've not got a community anymore because the church isn't really for you anymore, like that's a, that's a start. It, you might not find anyone in your local area. It's still early days. There's about 3,000 people on there. A um, couple of thousand in the U.S. So this is a good mix, as long as you're not awesome, sick, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, dude, that is pre- that's super dope. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you, I think you told me about that before. So I'm glad to like be reminded of that and for folks to hear that that's a, a resource because you're right. It is a lonely place to be. Well, Phil, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's an honor for sure. Well, folks, uh, that was Phil Drysdale, my friend from across the pond. Thank you for listening to this episode and all the episodes you've listened to. Uh, thank you to all of you who have rated and reviewed the podcast. For those of you that are part of the Patreon community, special thanks to you. And thank you to all of you for helping us to contend for a better world, one conversation at a time.
Thank you.